Welcome to the Gonzo Chronicles. I'm your host, Cyrus Alderwood, the official spokesman for Generation X. Stick around. It's going to get weird, as always. Welcome to another episode of the Gonzo Chronicles. This is your host, Cyrus Alderwood. And joining us today is our favorite, Elizabeth Cooper. How are you doing, Elizabeth? I'm good. How are you? I'm all sunshine and cookies. It's uh, after the <laughs> holidays. I'm, I'm planning my liposuction surgery next week. No, I'm, I'm totally kidding. I'm totally... But if I did cut myself shaving, I'd probably like, you know, bleed grease or something at this point i've had so much to eat during the holidays but you guys have a good one you guys have fun yeah we had fun you know we still have little ones at home and stuff so some of them get really excited some of them are like yeah i know what's up and i'm like i don't care if you know what's up if you don't believe santa doesn't come for you so they they shut up real quick you know but it was more fun when they were really little because when they were, when, well, at least the last three of them were really little, we always had a fireplace. Yeah. So I would tell them when they were bad, I'm like, you need to go talk to the fireplace because that's your direct line to Santa. And I have videos of them standing there going, I'm so sorry, Santa, that I hit my brother. I won't do it again. I love you, <laughs> And I'm just like videotaping this whole thing, like a psychotic mother, but it, oh my gosh, it was hilarious. So, you know, that's great. It, it uh, straightens them up when the, the elves come. I am not an elf fan. Are you? You know what? I kind of, I kind of got into that because uh, I would, uh, I would write letters, my niece and nephew, they, when they, my nieces and nephews, they were growing up, they would write letters to Santa and they would, of course, my sisters would send me these letters and I would write back. And I had a great time pissing my brother off because my, my little niece, Lindsay, oh, my goodness. She would not disappoint Santa at all on Christmas Eve. And she was such a good little girl. And uh, I would get these letters about what she would want and so forth. And I would write back and I would be like, you know, well, you've been a good girl. So I'll look into all this. And, you know, the elves checked in and you've been really good. And I would name the elves like so and so stopped to visit and. They, you know, everybody was asleep, but they hung out with the dog and they went, you know, let me tell you what happened. I would tell this crazy story about the elves and the dog getting out in the middle of the night, one riding it like a horse and getting in trouble and mischief and all these funny stories. And then at the end, I would say, hey, you know, you're always so good with snacks that you leave out for me. And but some of the reindeer fell left out and some of the elves and they have a few requests. And I would put down stuff like. You know, slice of cheese pizza with mayonnaise, 
um, like some candy that's really hard to find that you'd have to show up at Cracker Barrel that somebody 80 years old would eat. And uh, like just black licorice or like one color of jelly bean, just weird stuff. Toast with with uh, with ketchup on it or something for one of the reindeer. Like we've got celery for the other one. And my brother-in-law would be so pissed off. He'd be like, man, this little girl is not going to let, not stop hounding me until I go all over town finding this dumb shit. You want me <laughs> all night long? I've got to stop by Papa John's on the way in. No one wants pizza. It's Christmas. Right? It's like, I've got to go. Anyway, I thought it was hilarious. Just hilarious. And uh, I had a moment of sadness. I was telling you Christmas, like Christmas Day. And then not from, you know, any you know people gone, but it's like, here come all these kids in the living room. And I'm thinking, man, they all used to write to Santa and no one does it anymore. And I have no one to write letters and make up stories about elves, you know? And uh, then I thought, hey, man, relax. It's okay. Because I thought of my buddy Blaine and his son's dyslexic. And for two or three years there, he was writing letters to Satan instead of Santa. <laughs> and that poor kid had a rough, a little bit of a rough childhood, you know? I uh, don't want to get into the ins and outs of that poor kid. But anyway, that's uh, it's not the letters you want to be writing. You know, when I got them in the mail, I'm like, I don't know what to say. So I just went along with it. Kid had nightmares. I'm not allowed. I'm not allowed at their house anymore. So it's, it's, it's bad, Elizabeth. That, that's awesome. It's got to be really great to be an author and an uncle because <laughs> that's oh. like so naughty of you oh it was it was great the stories earth for the last mega red hot ball <laughs> <laughs> oh oh yeah i had those on there one night too one christmas too those those hot balls yeah and then like those melon what are, what are those little things that, that sour balls is like sour lemon things oh my god they're horrible mm-hmm. yeah the props yeah that's it my niece gave me one when she was little and I was driving. But she started laughing. It wasn't funny because I was swerving on the road. I didn't know what that was. That hit me out of nowhere. I'm like, uh, I'm coughing. Like, what'd you give me? And she's like, ha, ha, ha. It's so funny. I'm like, we're going to die. It's not funny. But uh, <laughs> it was terrible. Those aren't the lemon drop. Lemon drops are just a like lemon hard candy. I think you're talking about warheads. Uh, maybe that's it. It was terrible. Oh, uh, wow. It was it was like the sourest, hottest. It's it's like if somebody gave me like a, a what are those uh those, what are those really crazy hot peppers? Those ghost peppers. Peppers. Mm -hmm. well, yeah, with the uh, like covered in lemon juice or something. It's just ew, ew. like it's so bad. I still taste it. You know what I mean? Uh -huh. this, this has been like twenty years ago, <laughs> but uh, crazy stuff. So how's your show going? The uh, Caffeinated Cooper show. It's going well. You know, we had uh, a big show day at the end of the year and we've had a couple of really great shows. So I just came off of a show earlier this evening and that is available on YouTube in just a couple of days. It's now taking a few days for YouTube to catch up to that. 
Um, but it is with Ella Skidudo, and Ella is a matchmaker. So she's the smoky matchmaker, and she serves the whole state of Tennessee, but she in particular is located in Nashville. So it's a really cool thing. You can look up her website, which is um, Smoky Mountain, uh, not Smoky Mountain, but Smoky is for the Smoky Mountains. That's a way to remember it. Smokymatchmaker.com. Um, and she's got events. She has all types of things. But, you know, she was such an interesting guest this evening that I've never had a matchmaker on before. And I, you know, of course, racked her brain with all different questions. And I said, what about the gold diggers? What about the guys that just want to model? And, you know, they're, they're just looking to hook up with really great models. And she's like, no, we don't take them. We're not here for that. We're here for the lifelong match. I said, okay. And she said, you know, it's, it's a lot of fun. I also work with seniors. I thought, oh, how cool is that? She's like, I love working with seniors because they're so authentic. They've been through it all. So they know what they want. They know what they don't want. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just a lot of fun. So she was really cool. We have a lot of more interviews coming and they will go throughout the whole spring. We're going to do a couple in the summer and then kick it back up in the fall. So um, yeah, definitely. You know, go to YouTube. It's the Caffeinated Cooper Show channel. Um, we're also an Apple and not Apple. We are a uh, Amazon Prime Video, and um, our distribution is Binge Networks. So we're on the Binge Networks. We're on Hero Go. We're on so many different platforms. But yeah, thank you for asking. Are you still on Roku? Is that still um... so? Um. You know what? I think they've changed networks. So that was with the production company that I was working with in 2016. And we were filming the Elizabeth Cooper show, which was a live format talk show. Um, and we shot that at the Atlanta Comedy Theater. And so that was really, really cool. And yes, that was on Roku. This one is available through Roku, through Apple TV, through Samsung, mm. all the smart TVs it's compatible with so um the binge networks would be the app and then i'm i'm on all of it and it's the caffeinated cooper show yeah and if you go check her out on the youtube make sure you hit that subscribe button folks because thank uh, you yeah you gotta hit subscribe you gotta hit subscribe you can follow you on twitter too uh yeah you're i don't know if you're on there very much but uh i'm just there for the news i don't say a whole lot on twitter that much but but when I do, it counts. Let's, let's put it that way. Um, I have not yet been kicked off. I'm not on Facebook anymore because uh, if someone hacked hacked into my account, and I just keep I have to change my password every two minutes. So if anybody's still looking for me there, sorry. Yeah, I tried. I tried. It was fun for a while. But where where can they see you? Where can they catch you now? Uh, Instagram. I look for Cyrus Alderwood on Instagram. Uh, I have a Substack. It's uh, CyrusAlderwood.substack.com, and uh, find me on YouTube, um, where I will do some videos and sometimes make an ass of myself. Yeah, so all is well in the world. Yeah. All right. So, <laughs> so we were going to talk about a really, really uh, tough subject uh, here tonight. Uh, we're going to talk about the Black Dahlia. The most uns one of the most infamous unsolved murders of all time. It's kind of timely because here we come off of what's happened here recently in Idaho. Yeah. And next week will be the 76th anniversary 
of what happened to this young 22-year-old lady in Los Angeles in 1947, which is really crazy. Hey, real quick before we jump into that, I wanted to ask you, because this is all over the news and all anybody's talked about this week. Were you watching Monday Night Football last week when that incident on the field happened? Uh, last week I was cooking and I was making homemade bread and things. So I wasn't paying attention, but yes, I was alerted to what had happened. That was scary. Actually, mm -hmm. um, I was watching because I'm a Bengals fan. I've lived in Cincinnati. You know, I've had lived in Cincinnati for a number of years and just kind of grew up being a Reds and Bengals fan. Right. So, um, I'm watching that and it was you know, routine play. And yeah. number three, a guy by the name of DeMar Hamlin for the Buffalo Bills stands up a couple of seconds. He kind of staggers back just a bit, a couple of steps, and then just falls back on a statue, lands on his back. And then I'm like, whoa, that, that scared me um, because I had seen several videos going around YouTube or Twitter already from athletes in different parts of the world collapsing in the same way. Now, you know, this is a big elephant in the room. Now, I don't know his health status, and I'm not going to speculate what caused it, but immediately on Twitter, everybody starts saying it was those vaccines. And there's some scary uh, statistics that have come out in the news over the last couple of weeks that, you know, traditionally, I guess, not traditionally, but that's a bad word, but like, Every year, statistically, there's a certain number of athletes that'll collapse on the field, heart problems or whatever. And in the last year, for 2022, that's been up over 1,000%. So what? statistically, that's crazy. Crazy enough that even Tucker Carlson, I think, had had a segment on, on his show about this because I saw that going around Twitter as well. So it's like the big elephant in the room. Now, I don't know his status on any of this stuff. He may have had a heart condition. So, I mean, so I kind of was turned off by all the speculation, all the people jumping right on that. But that really kind of put sports and life in a different perspective, watching that live on Monday Night Football. The games all of a sudden seem very much less important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And well, in life and humanity, I think, you know, going through everything you've gone through politically – with and it was such an interesting timing, wasn't it? You know, yeah. to have this pandemic go through the population while social media is at its height. So everybody that had a shower thought or any little thought, they put it in writing. And, you know, really when it comes down to it, it's not about the opposition of political views or religious views or this, that, or the other. It's about humanity. Yeah. And I don't know if our culture or society has caught up with what the internet really is yet to show more courtesy and decorum. Because there are a lot of people, and it's really fringes left and right, that are chirping, and that's like 90% of the noise. And like everybody else in the middle is like, just shut up, you know? And it's, um, but it was, it was really interesting though, the, you know, it's what's, it's a really interesting experiment in humanity, what's going on on social media these days. And we'll look back probably about 30, 40 years and go, wow, what the hell were, where was everyone <laughs> thinking? But, you know, it, it is what it is. And 
uh, thankfully the, the guy's doing well. Apparently he went home. And yeah. um, I don't know, I doubt he'll ever play football again, but hey, that man is upright and breathing and living to fight another day. So good for him. And uh, I guess everybody can kind of breathe a sigh of relief. Um, a couple of days ago, the same thing happened to a young man playing for Old Dominion University basketball. And uh, I don't know his status, but that video was going around too. And um, I saw it on the, on a, on a news site too. So it wasn't anything that somebody you know, drug up a while back. And I thought, man, that's, that's scary, you know, because that hits a little closer to home. Right. The it, Old Dominion is in Virginia. And, uh, man, that's somebody that's like 19 years old, 18. Yeah. You just hate to see that, you know? So anyway, folks, I guess the best thing we can do is all take better care of our health. Um, so I'm going to drop, you know, drop some pounds hopefully this year. If not, <laughs> I'll find some. One way or the other, I'm going to be happy. Um, <clears throat> anyway, you were going to say, I'm sorry. Um, just to your point of what you were saying about, you know, a 19-year-old basketball player, and he, he just, you know, he drops like that. You know, I, I am looking at all the knee-jerk reporting of, oh, it's the vaccines. It's got to be the vaccine. Mm, you know, I'm not going to dive into a theory. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't, right? You know? Yeah, we, we don't know this guy's health status before. Right. We don't know his health status. We don't know his genetics. We don't know how his body reacted with everything, his current medications, uh, the vaccine, not vaccine, you know, whatever it is. But let's just say if it did come down to the vaccine, I don't think we would ever know. Because just the lawsuits, I mean, good grief, it would wipe out so many companies, so yeah. many companies, everybody who forced all those companies that forced their employees to get it and the pharmaceutical companies for manufacturing it and not fully testing it. Yeah. Oh, like everything would implode, would it not? Yeah, it would. And, you know, this is a learning moment in time. Um, I mean, I know there was a, the Spanish flu pandemic and that had to run its course and killed a lot of people worldwide. And then we have this and, uh, you know, it's just it's one of these things I think, you know, decades from now, we'll look back. It's like, here's here's a better way to handle these things, because here's all the wrong things people did. And people were scared. It's probably unfair that these companies, their research gets locked away for 75 years. No one really gets to know their, you know, what happened and how they anyway but that'll be a discussion for another day but uh, mm -hmm. really really interesting we may we live in interesting times right and we certainly do we certainly do you know ever since we had that dot-com boom of what was that 1999 2000 it has been the information overload and you know my mother frequently will say, she's like, oh, Elizabeth, you've got to watch those kids because there's there's this and there's that. Well, yes, there absolutely is. And, you know, now we're looking at human trafficking and things like that. But, you know, 10, 15 years ago, I, was, I told her, I said, mom, everybody has a device in their hands that can take a picture now, you know, or even sooner than that, let's say five years ago, everybody can take a picture, can take a video. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine how many people are getting caught now yeah. that there's not only video on every street corner in the sky, all over the place, and everybody, even the homeless people 
are holding cell phones with video capability. That's that's how the uh, Idaho police were able to track that suspect across country. As a matter of fact, I heard he was pulled over in Indiana uh, by police there, and they knew he was a suspect, so they were tracking him. And the reason they pulled him over is to like get a look at his hands and see if there's anything in the car uh, that would be of evidence on the way. And then when they didn't see any cuts, they said, "Okay, we're gonna let you go." But they were they were on him the whole time, and that's the benefit of technology. You, do you feel bad for his parents? Because the way that they went in to get him, it was in the middle of the night. They blew out all the windows in the house. They threw in uh, the the what is it the uh, like. With a flash grenade or something? Or? Flash grenade with the uh, pepper sprayed bombs and like just infiltrated the whole house. Can you imagine being those parents if they didn't know anything? Yeah, I mean, what if somebody had a condition, they had a heart attack and they caused that by that? There are better ways to go in and arrest them. You could find him, you could catch him going out to get the mail the next morning. You don't have to to do that in the middle of the night. Um I mean, it's not like he wasn't leaving the house to go to the grocery or do this that, and the other. So, yeah, I don't really like those heavy-handed tactics that a lot of law enforcement use. I mean, I would hate for it to be used. I mean, you got to also look at the risk they put themselves in. There was a, I guess, a case in Louis, or Lexington or Louisville, I forget which it was, uh, in Kentucky a couple of years ago. And as this made national news, cops just burst in this place. And... uh if this is the right case, I'm thinking, I don't know, I, I may be off, but I remember seeing a case where police just burst in. And, of course, the guy who lived there had no idea who the hell was kicking his door in. He had firearms. He pulled a gun out. He got killed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was his girlfriend they were after. Mm-hmm. They didn't have to do that. He didn't have to die, I don't think. You know, I mean, that was sort of, they were, they're, they're going to have to leave the house sometime. That's all yeah. I'm saying. You might not mm-hmm. wait till they get downtown and there's like, people around it's dangerous but you can certainly catch them at the car before they get in you know it's not it's not like it's you're going out of your way just be a little bit more patient and Mm -hmm. less people get hurt because cops go in a place like that they don't know who has a firearm and it could be somebody totally innocent that thinks hey somebody's breaking in my house and they're they're pulling a weapon so um that's yeah those those types of things probably need to come to a stop i think it was senator Rand paul who Give a really rousing uh, a speech about why that kind of technique needs to stop um, mm-hmm. nationwide by federal officials and I'm sure state officials probably need to think think that through too. Hey, but let's jump to this creepy topic. Yeah. Do you uh, do you want to start it off or do you want me to? Sure, uh, I I don't mind. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, so this was the murder of Elizabeth Short. Elizabeth Short. She was known as the Black Dahlia because in um, 1947, I think earlier in the year, I'd have to look it up exactly, but there was a movie, The Blue Dahlia. And she was called the Black Dahlia because she used to wear sheer black clothing all the time. Yes. So our generation, that was, you know, goth. In, uh, in today's generation, now they call it emu. Yeah. <laughs> So, all right. So she was, she was always wearing this sheer black clothing um, and she was found by, it was a mother and her child. They were going for a walk and she was pretty close to the sidewalk. And it was uh, what they found was a naked body severed in half 
but she was severed perfectly. Yeah. Like if you put her through a table saw, perfectly severed, yeah. um, mutated. And I mean, it was really, really nasty. And of course, now think about it, picture it. It's January 15th, cold-ish, 1947 in Los Angeles, 1947. This is not something that they hear about on the news, that they see in their movies. Take yourself all the way back there because today we have video games with that kind of horror in it. We have movies, we have the news, just the daily news. We have the national news. This is really, really shocking to their psyche. Um, and so, you know, she's 22 years old. She's a Hollywood hopeful. Um, it's never been technically solved. On the morning of January 15, 1947, a mother taking her child for just a walk, they came upon the gruesome sight, a body of a young naked lady sliced clean in half at the waist. Is that the same that you heard? Absolutely. Yeah. And it was, uh, it was, the body was actually mutilated. Um, they, well, the police, first of all, they think, well, that she was, um, uh, dissected, like cut in half after she was already dead because there was no bruising. And it was so surgical, they knew which part of the vertebrae to go through easiest. So that was kind of a clue, like, okay, this is somebody who knows something, right? Possibly a doctor. But what kind of crazy doctor would do something like this? It was um, her intestines, like everything was sort of intact, but her intestines were like tucked up underneath her so that it would look clean. So the site was really clean. Um, they mutilated her breasts. One of the things that was the signature, what they did is they, whoever took a scalpel or a blade from the corners of her mouth and cut up like it was a big giant smile. Think the Joker from the Batman movie a few years back with Christian Bale. Right. And Heath Ledger. That's the kind of cut that was done to her. Uh, and this was 1947. This was before the Joker ever had those cuts, which makes me wonder where they got that idea from with his, you know, the wicked smile anyway. And uh, it, it was very, very creepy. Now, think about Elizabeth Short that that was um, so interesting. It was a little bit about her past. Um, obviously, she was a, you know, from her photos, a pretty young lady, but she had a little bit of a past going back and forth to California. And um, when she was younger, I think her late teens, 16, 17, her mother had gotten a letter from her husband that she thought was dead, like her old husband. They, they were divorced. And so when she found out she had a father, like the last time she saw him, she was six years old. He lived in California, so she wanted to go out there. So she goes out to California stars in her eyes, you know, and things aren't necessarily working out. So she's working, you know, um, as a, like a, as a waitress and has a little, you know, little apartment. And, um, but initially when she got there, she sort of hooked up with a guy on the military base um, where her father, I guess had, had worked at. And of course that guy was abusive to her. So he beat her up a little bit. Right. So, um, she gets in trouble not long after that, uh, being in a bar drinking underage. So she gets in trouble in the state of California. She ends up going, um, 
long story short, back to Boston, back to Massachusetts, where she's from. And at that point, um, I guess she gets a little older and decides she wants to go back out. So she goes down to Florida and hooks up somebody else from the military that she knew from the base before. And eventually ends up back in California. And her reputation was that she dates a lot and sees a lot of men. So a lot of people in the media started speculating when they started digging into her past, maybe she's a prostitute. Maybe mm. she just likes she's a philanderer. Because the guy that she was seeing in Florida, who was a you know military officer, she was she was dating. He was married. So that was kind of one of the things um, that was so kind of they were looking for any salacious thing they could find about her about her past. So um, so the media sort of trashed her a little bit back then. Here's the technique that they did. This this is cold hearted, but this is what they did. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the newspapers there, a particular reporter, when they found out who her mother was, they wanted to dig up more information and dirt on her past. So they call her mother from California and make up some sort of thing like she won a prize or won something, and they're trying to get in touch with her. Have you seen her? What's she like? This and the other. And this woman is like talking. She's probably distraught and angry about her daughter leaving and just talks a little bit about her so they can dig up dirt. That's how she found out her daughter was dead. She didn't even know it. They called to dig up dirt, and then after the fact, said, oh, by the way, she's dead. We found her. That is a horrible thing to do. But you think our media is bad today? It's always been bad. You know, so when you look back at that, can you imagine the mother's grief getting that news like that? No. Oh, that's just wrong. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So, wow. When I was reading here about her, um, there was a true story that was released in 2006 called The Black Dahlia. That's the one that you were talking about a moment ago. Uh -huh. And so, oh, okay, you know, I haven't seen it. Let's see what it's about. And I read this first line. Uh, the true story of I Am the Night. Is that a different movie? How The Black Dahlia and George Hodel were connected. So immediately I'm like, who's George? Yeah. So I look him up. He's ugh. he's in particular a really weird and dark guy. So George Fidel, uh, he was born October 10th, 1907, and he died in 1999. He was an American physician and suspected in the murder of Elizabeth Short, a.k.a. the Black Dahlia. Mm -hmm. What is their connection, though? Did they know each other? Well, that's the interesting thing. Um, a few, well, several years ago, a friend of mine let me borrow this book called The Black Dahlia Avenger. And it was by a guy by the name of Steve Hodel. And I'm like, okay, so I've never read this. I knew, I knew of the case. I didn't know much of it. So I'm reading this true crime book. And Elizabeth, I have to tell you, this is one of those books that I was reading in bed at night. And I couldn't put it down because it was so intriguing and mesmerizing and horrific at the same time. I was sitting in bed in Cincinnati, had my lamp on. And on either side of my bed is a window. Every time I heard a noise outside, I would jump. Oh my that God. book absolutely made me a nervous wreck reading this book. Steve Hodel was a uh, retired um, homicide investigator from L.A. And I think he worked up in San Francisco at one point, maybe up in Seattle. Uh, I'd not have to go back to the book and, and check, but... 
he was a retired homicide detective. And when his father died, his father was a weird cat. And he always knew his father was like really strange and they were kind of estranged anyways. He got older, the family kind of split apart and the daughters wanted nothing to do with the father because he suspected maybe some abuse, sexual abuse, things like that. And he remembered vaguely these wild parties that they would have in LA when they were kids. And his dad was a doctor. His dad was, um, he was one of the people who would, knew how to treat STDs. So anybody who had an STD, whether it's politicians that wanted it quiet, that were cheating on their spouses, Hollywood actors and actresses, all these power people would come to him for treatment, medications, things like that, and he would keep it quiet. But in the meantime, he would invite them to these wild, salacious parties, and they would all show up. You know, that's how he stayed in, like, he could do whatever, and nobody would say anything, because he knew dirt on everyone there, who they were sleeping with, like, all this stuff, who's cheating on who, Who's, who's stealing and scamming from the public registry, all this stuff. He was he was well-connected, very wealthy. So Steve Hodell, it gets um, this, this um, I guess like a footlocker that belonged to his father. And he's just kind of going through it to see what's in there. And he finds a couple of pictures of this girl that looks like, hey, isn't that the girl called the Black Dahlia that was this unsolved case that everyone knew about? And like... Even private eyes and, you know, retired homicide people have been trying to keep the case open to investigate it, even on their own. And he, so he starts thinking, why does my father have these pictures of this girl? And he starts looking into it. And he comes to find out he throughout the book, it lays down the evidence like like a prosecuting attorney would on why his, he thinks his father is the murderer of the Black Dahlia. He would surgically know how to do that technique because he actually trained in that in other places when he would travel around the country. And come to find out, he pieced other murders in different parts of the country at the same time his father was there doing in his medical profession. That oh, yeah. matched up with the same kind of killing that happened to this woman. Mutilations, uh, people being severed, surgically precise. It's almost like he was going around practicing at all these different places where he would go and, and uh, practice his craft. And he also thought that he maybe had one or two other doctor friends that were doing it with him. That's what? the scary thing. And he pieced homicides all around the country. Now, with uh, George Hodel, again, there was no trial because he died. and It's just circumstantial to a lot of people. But when he died, when uh, when George Hodel was kind of on the hook at one point where he thought he was going to get in trouble for like all kinds of things, like maybe taxes or something, he fled the United States to live in the Philippines or Thailand or somewhere. And he married a woman who also resembled Elizabeth Short. Really? He, he had this thing for women who sort of had an Asian look. So he goes over there and he gets married. And uh, of course, he lives over there for years and years. And then he has to, I think, go somewhere else because the authorities in that country are seeing bodies popping up, like random, like a handful of murders there that resembled the Black Dahlia murder. Like he is still doing it like he's just a murderer and can't get over it. And he's a doctor. So whether he did or didn't, that particular book is well worth reading um, because uh, his son, his son lays out a case of how he 
abused the children that he remembered uh, after talking to his sister after many years about what she remembered, things like that, seeing these people at the parties and how the kids would always have to go upstairs. He thought they were having orgies mm. and trading like, you know, wife swap. Oh, probably. And then and, if they all had STDs, he's got more clients. Yeah. But he said a lot of that stuff was going around. Now, one of the things that was uh, very mysterious to him was a, a particular picture that his father had painted, had commissioned to be painted for him. And it was it was a clown-like picture, but it had the cuts going from the corners of the mouth up on this particular painting. And that was the same cutting procedure that happened to 22-year-old Elizabeth Short. Now, no matter what her lifestyle was, you know, I know that one of the things I read uh, about her is like she was she even though she was trying to break into acting, she did date around a lot. So maybe she, you know, she drank and partied a little bit. Uh, some people um, accused her of being a lesbian, trying to, um, you know, just or maybe bisexual and living a very wild life for those times. It was very scandalous, mm -hmm. you know, and um, being very frivolous with with her body and sleeping around. And there were countless men that were suspects initially that had had contact with them. half of them were married and half of them weren't you know so wow. that tells you a lot about her but like they said one of the things um her teeth were bad like on the bottom her bottom jaw like some of her teeth were rotted so she didn't really take good hygiene you know so i'm thinking how many people are going to find a woman like that attractive that's got really bad hygiene um but then again people do some stupid things and <laughs> some people are desperate i don't know but yeah, they but they looked at that and it was like, you know, she huh. they tried anything to slander the poor girl. But can you imagine her just out there on her own trying to trying to survive after World War II, being very young <laughs> and everybody trying to take advantage of you? So it's like right. you have to look at both sides. You know, and it was only twenty two years old. I mean, you got to think about okay, what was your growing up home life like? If you're 22 and you already have teeth rotting, I mean, <laughs> yeah, that that's a long time for not caring for your teeth. That's I don't know. That's a little extreme. Maybe uh, early drinking. I yeah, but there, yeah. here I'm I'm pouring more slander on her because you're just trying to figure it out. Now George Hodel, so he went to trial for the alleged because I believe he got off. He wasn't charged with it. Um, alleged rape of his own daughter, Tamar. Right. It says that she claimed that her father was the Dahlia killer as well. Yeah. So that would be Steve Hodel is Tamar Hodel's brother. They're brother and sister, right? Right. right. So he's got two kids that are saying, yeah, dad probably did it. Um, another thing that was really interesting is whoever the Black Dahlia killer was, he wrote letters to the newspaper, kind of like what um, Zodiac did, you know. Really? Um, yeah, he wrote some letters and said he would send proof of, you know, this crime scene that he was the one who did it. And then he sent another letter and said he changed his mind. He didn't think the press would be in good faith with him. So years later, I guess, Steve Hodel had a handwriting expert compare samples of his father's writing to the writing of some of those notes sent to the, to the press. And the analysis came back and said there was a strong possibility 
that his father's handwriting matched, but the results weren't conclusive. Um, on a this is kind of brutal, but at the at the Black Dahlia crime scene, uh, like I said before, uh, Elizabeth Short's body had been cut in a manner consistent with what they call. Um, I'm going to butcher this word up. I read this. Uh, hemicorporectomy, right? Which which is slices the body um, beneath the lumbar spine, mm-hmm. and you know the fact that his dad had been a doctor um, who attended a medical school when this procedure, that exact procedure, was being taught in the 1930s, and he went into that. Now that's a that's a procedure like a last case procedure. Somebody is dying they have to amputate like a lower part of their body you know so the intestines are gone and like you know just like the upper part you keep so that was how they would do that so he actually went in and had training on this um so actually so he found receipts of it um where he had uh where he went to the archives or ucla um for his father's archives there and uh, found a folder full of receipts um, uh, um, on all this stuff that he had, like hidden rooms built on their contract home and all this stuff. It was, it was pretty, pretty gruesome stuff. I mean, there, there was a lot of circumstantial evidence, Um, but you know, in the, in the folder, I I remember reading that there was a, there was a receipt dated that was a few days before the murder for this large bag of concrete. And that bag was the same size and same brand as the concrete bag that was found near Elizabeth Short's body that had a lot of her blood and and other things that he put in there to make the crime scene look neat. Wow. Yeah. So I was just looking at his early life. George Hodel was born, we already said, in 1907 in Los Angeles of Russian Jewish ancestry george was a child prodigy and possessed a clear genius level intellect such was his mind that reportedly uh, scored a 186 on an iq test one point higher than einstein everything you know it goes on to say um he was great at math he played the piano everything was set for him to just be a great success a young great success well he goes to caltech Hodel became sexually involved with the wife of one of his professors on campus. This alone would have been a bad enough scandal for the young man, yet making the matter all the more outrageous to the university was that the woman in question was now pregnant. Luckily consumed with Likely consumed with teenage lust and fantasies of doing the chivalrous thing, Hodel urged the woman to leave her husband and join him in raising the child together. She refused. And not only did the woman's marriage fall apart, but Hodel was forced to leave the university. What if Elizabeth is his daughter? Wow, I never really thought of that. I wonder if there's any... um, I wonder if the police look through that angle. I don't recall reading any of that in Hodel's book, Steve Hodel's book, uh, but it might be in there. It might be something I'd still book. but that's a possibility, isn't it? Interesting. That would, the time frame is pretty close. Time frame would be pretty close. Wow. Super that... sleuth, Elizabeth Cooper. You're, you're <laughs> on to something here. <laughs> that's, 
I because you think about it, I mean, what he did was brutal. And I think, you know, most investigators would say that would clue in with intent, yeah. just like with this crazy creep that just killed the four college kids. Right. Um, you know, they were looking at all four of them. Like, did he spend more time? Was there more stabbings with one of them and not the other three? Like, was there one person he was after, but he had in his mind, he had to get rid of three to get that one. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, to sever the body now, of course, how he severed it, knowing how to, how he severed it, that all links up with him being a physician, a surgeon. He was, you know, by the time that he was making a lot of money, he was an OBGYN to, like you said, the creme of the crop. And he was known to keep things quiet, just like you said. Um, but he packed her full of grass, right? Yep. yep. He cleaned everything up so it almost looked surgical, but then he cut her face like in this huge grin. That sound, I mean, you're spending a lot of time to do yeah. something specific to this person. Yeah. I don't know. I do you think that there was intent there, or what about the other suspected murders? Were they all the same? They were all fairly, fairly different, but some similarities. And that's why Hodel was able to, uh, you know, make circumstantial argument that his father likely did those too, because of some of the similarities. Now, the, the likely what it was happening, I think she was targeted by whoever, because you had to take your time. So they, they probably had a reason, you know, not maybe even a reason, but hey, listen, we're just going to do this because this is somebody that's not going to be missed. And um, when so they they've killed her, then dissected the body, because, like I said, there was no bruising that would be indicated if she was alive and they cut her. So they she was her body was actually probably what, about a foot apart, bottom part from the top part. And mm -hmm. they put her hands like over her head, like a 90 degree angle, her elbows bent. So her hands are like this. And then I guess spread her legs apart. And just like, kind of like, setting a scene. Like they they come here. It's like, hey, we're gonna we're gonna set this scene to make it look just like this. Like they put her in specifically in that pose, and which which was just so. Again, it's so twisted. You can't wrap your mind around why. And I think that's one of the reasons that you know when this trial comes out from this guy and that killed or allegedly killed those uh, college students in Idaho. If we thought a lot of people were watching the uh, Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial. I mean, this is going to be the biggest trial since OJ. Mm -hmm. And I think everyone is going to be uh, just glued to it because everyone wants to know why. Right. And I don't know. I don't know if this guy had a why. Uh, who would, I mean, somebody that would do something like that. Other than, I mean, just a psychopath. And some people have no conscience and, or no rhyme or reason. Right. Yeah, I, I don't know. Well, I'm going to have to give you this link to what I'm, I'm reading. And I agree with you, you know, um, in the murder of those four college kids, everybody does want to know why. And, you know, I was talking to my husband the other night and I'm like, do you think that they're using all their tactics within, you know, by the book, not doing anything extreme that would, you know, 
release him. Like they don't, they don't want to torture him beyond what they can do by the book. But, you know, I do know when investigating people, you can keep them up for hours, days on end, you know, get them to the point of just breakdown and exhaustion. And then you get some truth out of it that I'm wondering if they're having to push really hard on this crazy guy to find out his why. Yeah, maybe, maybe I'd, I would love to be a fly on the wall just to hear those interrogations. I'm sure we all would. It's, it, that's the thing that just, I guess that's what separates us from people like that. Like how, yeah. could, you, how could you possibly do something so horrific? And that, I guess that's why cases like the black Dahlia stick with people and, and, and just in the culture for so long. And it's like, you know, Hollywood's still fascinated by it because 76 years later, almost in next week, be the 76th anniversary of this, of her murder that, you know, people still don't know why or how somebody could do something like this. No, I know. So in doing a little bit farther reading, reading, there is somebody that may have known a lot and her name is Ruth Spaulding. So in 1945, Hodel's secretary, Ruth Spaulding, had died of a drug overdose. Hodel had been there when she died, had burned papers belonging to her before he called the police. He was never charged with anything, yet documents have shown that Spaulding knew much of Hodel's darker side. It is believed by some that she was aware that he was engaging in a financial fraud whereby he billed patients for medical procedures and tests he never actually carried out. There had also been some rumors that he worked as an illegal abortionist and performed abortions for both Hollywood social elite and prostitutes impregnated by the LAPD. Spalding was ready to blow the whistle and she had to go. Um, with police dangerously close, Hodel fled to China uh, to work with the UN relief efforts in that country. Now, down below, it does show his mugshot. Um, and Hodel, in 1945, when his 14-year-old daughter, Tamar, accused him of incest and molestation. And it is disgusting, really disgusting. Um, as we know, he did rape her. She became pregnant. He took her to her office and performed an abortion. And then let's just put it this way, uh, forced her to perform something sexual with him, took pictures of her, uh, then pistol whipped her. Wow. Wow. What a savage. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that is the type of person that you'd need to find that had any connection with Elizabeth, with Elizabeth Short. Sorry. Um, yeah. He was, he was a sicko. That, I mean, it's just, even, you know, I've, I've, even as much as I've read about this in the past, this is, it still makes my skin crawl, you know, 20 years, almost 15 years after I've read the book, uh, it, Black Dahlia Avenger. And that's wow. Well, we certainly picked one hell of a topic to talk about, didn't we? <laughs> um, this, it's just, it's so macabre. Right. So here's a quote from Dr. Hotel They thought there was something fishy, 
anyway, now they may have figured it out. Killed her? Maybe I did kill my secretary. Wow. Jeez. May, yeah, he, this is a guy who's, and that kind of arrogance, I mean, being a doctor and having all that dirt on everybody and knowing all that information, that's probably why he never got in trouble with even his financial fraud. He can bill for whatever he wants. Right. And, uh, you know, but just just the arrogance of somebody like that, it reminds you a lot of like Ted Bundy, who thought he could just get away with everything. It does. So anybody out in the Philippines, if you have unsolved cases that were surgically performed by someone with surgical knowledge, um, yeah, it, it might have been George Hodel because he, so he fled towards China. He first went to Hawaii. Then he went on to the Philippines three years later. Um, then he would remain in the Philippines from until 1990. I don't know where he went after 1990, but it says then eventually dying in 1999. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's, that's just uh, insane stuff. I know in the book that I read that uh, Steve Hodel actually tells you where his father was late in life, where he died at. I just forgot where it was at. I can't remember, but, uh, but it was, uh, what a, just what a, what a sick crime. And, uh, man, that's, I don't know how often these things happen to this day, but there's, you know, apparently what in, in America at any given time, seven serial killers walking around and tired up to 20 according to the FBI, right? Something like that. And you just wonder what people are doing, but, um, yeah, Elizabeth, thanks for, well, thanks for going on the dark side with me here tonight. <laughs> this is, this is like the, one of the creepiest things, um, you know, cases I think I've read and we've talked about some, some crazy unsolved mysteries on the, on the caffeinated Cooper show. And, um, th this, this certainly ranks up there, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it really does. And I mean, it continues on. I, I found a great website. I'm going to have to share it with you, but apparently, um, this website is sharing a bit of the book. So, it's a New York Times bestseller, seller, Black Dahlia Avenger, The True Story. Um, and this is by James Elroy. James Elroy has written a bit. Yeah, was that the, the, the maybe, yeah, I'm going to have to take a look back at the one Steve Hodel had written. And I haven't, I don't know if I've read, read the one by Elroy, but you know what? It's going to go on my Amazon list now. Um, if I dare have the guts to read it, maybe in the daylight, <laughs> maybe, maybe <laughs> in the daylight. I notice as I get a little older, it's like, I used to love horror films. Now it's like, eh, I might watch one, but only if, it's, if, if the sun's up, <laughs> I'm not going to, not going to give a vampire a chance to kick my door in uh, while <laughs> they're watching something that would scare the piss out of me. But, um, that was a crazy story. So are you, how's, uh, what's, what's coming up next with the caffeinated Cooper show? Um, you said you had some shows coming up. Yeah, we do. We have some more shows coming up and um, definitely keep a watch on Facebook for Elizabeth Cooper, Cooper Studio and um, YouTube. 
and you're going to be able to catch all the great shows. Uh, we're actually working on the schedule for next week. So if you would like to be within the email group where I do send out, you know, when I have a big filming day or I have a full booked weekend, I will send out um, emails from the studio that will detail, you know, who's coming up on the show and give a short little bio. And um, yeah, it's, it's some really great stuff because I also have, aside from the interviews, what I've been doing right now is the news and we have a financial advisor and he's so great. He'll come on and talk about, you know, what's going on. I get to pick his brain for a little bit. And then he always has um, something great to teach us. So definitely check out the show. It's the caffeinated Cooper show channel on YouTube, Cooper studios or Elizabeth Cooper on Facebook. That's for the live version um, or go to binge networks or Amazon Prime and look up the Caffeine Cooper show. Yeah, I found you on Prime, but I don't I'm not a Prime subscriber, but I uh but I know some people that are. So I passed mm -hmm. that along. So hopefully they're checking out some of the shows there. But uh hey Elizabeth, thanks. Uh, come back again sometime. We'll, we'll we'll find something maybe a little more pleasant to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Sounds great. <laughs> hey, thanks so much. And thanks everybody for tuning in to another episode of the Gonzo Chronicles. And I'll see you down the road. <laughs>